I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we are, uh, well, Sunday before last, we, we read about the first Christian martyr, Stephen, who was stoned to death for preaching Christ. If you uh, look back a couple of verses to verse 58 of chapter 7, it introduces us to a person named Saul. And Saul, it states uh, there in verse 58, they cast uh, Stephen out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. A little foreshadowing for us because Saul's about to become a, a very large part of the book of Acts. Of course, he, he becomes uh, the Apostle Paul as he is converted and renamed. But right now, as we encounter him in chapter 8, we are seeing going to see uh, what kind of person he was before Christ claimed him for his own. And the picture we get is not a pretty one. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. May God grant us much joy as we reflect on uh, his holy word. And uh, may he uh, write its eternal truth upon our hearts this morning. Well, the premise throughout our study of the book of Acts has been that even though Jesus has ascended to heaven 40 days after he rose from the dead, uh, he continues to work in Luke uh, uh, he says that uh, this is a gospel of, of what Jesus began to do and teach. Uh, that's what he, what he tells us about his first book that he wrote to Theophilus. So the implication that we've been uh, operating under is that if the gospel of Luke is about what Jesus began to do and teach, then the book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do and teach, hence our title, Jesus Continues. And so Jesus is continuing to work. He's continuing to work building his kingdom, which is the church. He is present, even though not physically, but he is present by the Holy Spirit who dwells in his followers since Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He empowers the church uh, and the individuals who are a part of the church. And so they, uh, they are the arms and legs of Christ as they go out share the gospel of the church is being built up and now there is some serious persecution so jesus is building his church how does he do this well the verses before us today and the rest of chapter 8 for that matter show us how jesus builds his church through counterintuitive ways he builds his church through counterintuitive ways now that word a big word counterintuitive means different from what you would expect, uh, different from what would seem to be uh, natural or normal. And this is uh, true about, about everything concerning 
Christ and the gospel. Um, if you look at the values of, of Christ's kingdom, which he spells out in the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew chapter 5, you'll find that those values of God's kingdom are quite different from the values of the world. Blessed are you uh, who mourn. Uh, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. So, you know, we usually don't think the people who are who mourn or who are poor are blessed or people who are persecuted are blessed, but that's what Jesus says about those who are part of his kingdom. So the values in Jesus' kingdom are quite different from the world. Uh, his methods uh, are quite opposite from the world's. For example, Jesus died in order to secure eternal life for his people. And then no one was expecting that. Uh, no one thought that that would be the way the Messiah would go about saving his people. To, to die and to lay down his life so that others might live. And that, this is why the world has so much difficulty understanding <clears throat> true Christianity. So, uh, as we reflect on this chapter, these first few verses of chapter 8, uh, understanding what I'm going to tell you about Jesus' kingdom today should be a reminder God's ways are often, or usually, not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts about things. If we were God, not only would we have not done it like God does it, we would not have thought to do it the way that he does it. So my desire for us today as we reflect on this text is to have our values and even our methods shaped by Christ's examples uh, to see that uh, maybe we need to think differently about the way we would normally think about things. Well, there are three different ways I want to point out to you that Jesus builds his church counterintuitively uh, that I want to highlight from this text. There may be more, but I've picked three here. Number one, Jesus builds his church not only in spite of persecution, but through persecution. And secondly, Jesus builds his church not only to Jews in Jerusalem, but across all social, racial, and cultural barriers. And then thirdly, Jesus builds his church not only by the preaching of preachers, but by the proclamation of the gospel by all Christians. Let's dive into each one of those in turn in the few minutes that we have here. Uh, first of all, Jesus builds his church not only in spite of persecution, but he actually uses the persecution to build his church. And here we see that no enemies of Christ can stop the progress of his kingdom, of his church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against uh, his kingdom, his church. If you look at verse 1 there, it tells us, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. The Greek says that there arose a mega persecution. A mega persecution. That's the Greek word that's used there. Um, it was not just any old normal persecution. It was a great persecution. It was an awful persecution, a no-holds-barred persecution of the church, and it was spearheaded by this man named Saul. In verse 3, it tells us that Saul was ravaging the church. And that word uh, means to devastate or to bring to ruin. He was, 
he was uh, seeking to stamp it out completely. One reference book on this verse said that uh, that the the word used there is like a wild boar running through a vine- or ruining a vineyard. A wild boar, of course, he would eat the fruit and he would trample the ground. And anybody that's ever been out in the country and seen what uh, feral hogs do, they just completely devastate the countryside. They, there's no grass because they root around and and uh, just uh, they, they decimate things. Uh, we could put it uh, in a, in a more familiar. Uh, 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 saying, uh, Saul was like a bull in a china shop. He was just smashing things, smashing Christians, uh, destroying, seeking to destroy the church and to completely snuff it out. It tells us that he went from house to house, dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. Now, of course, we know, uh, we'll find out soon, that he's going to be converted and become one of these Christians that he's so adamantly persecuting. And then several occasions he reflects back on his former life. And in chapter 26 he says this. He gives us a bit more detail about the the, the mega-ness of this persecution. I myself, he says, was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So not only is he going to persecute the church in Jerusalem, he's going to push it out into the surrounding cities and really be on a mission to snuff out the church. Now this is the same type of persecution that we're hearing about so much on the news today. Men, women, and children are being beheaded or crucified for being Christians and so forth. At that time, many Christians fled Jerusalem for their lives. You can understand why. It was a dark time for Christians in the early church. But not a dark time for the growth of Christianity. If you look at verse 4, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. What's happening here is a lot like Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph? Uh, his brothers were jealous of him. They, they didn't like this little smart aleck kid who, who was uh, daddy's favorite. And so they sold him into slavery. And he had a hard time, but eventually he rose to become second only to Pharaoh. And, then, and there was a great famine in the land. And of course, his brothers come to him unknowingly and uh, they are rescued because Joseph is in this position of power. Now, once their father dies... Uh, they are worried that uh, now that Joseph might get his revenge on the brothers. But Joseph, in a dramatic scene, turns to them and says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You know, Through the things that you've done to me, I've risen to this place and God has used it to rescue our family, to preserve his people. Jesus uses the evil intentions of the religious leaders in Jerusalem and Saul as as their henchmen. He uses them through their persecution to spread the gospel exactly where he said it should be spread in Acts chapter 1. Remember he told the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Up to this time, they had only been witnessing in Jerusalem. The gospel had not left the borders of the city. But now they are pushed out by this great persecution 
and the followers of Christ share the good news of Jesus as they run for their lives. And the church of Jesus Christ grows. More people come to know Christ and to hear about what He has done. God works in the face of what most people would, be, would have uh, called a disaster. Tertullian, a uh, church father, wrote in his work Apologeticus, a famous quote, or part of this is a famous quote. He's, he's writing against the Romans who have persecuted Christians, and he's, and he's writing out a defense for Christians and showing their inconsistencies and so forth. And to the Romans he says, That's why you can't just exterminate us, Christians. The more you kill, the more we are. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You praise those who, who endured pain and death so long as they aren't Christians. In other words, those heroes who fight in battle or so forth and give their lives. Uh, you praise those who endured pain and death so long as they aren't Christians. Your cruelties merely prove our innocence of the crimes you charge against us. And you frustrate your purpose because those who see us die wonder why we do. For we die like the men you revere, not like slaves or criminals. And when they find out, they join us. Bold words from Tertullian. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. These difficult circumstances of the first century church served to further Christ's kingdom as the people spread out into the countryside and shared the good news of Christ. So the lesson that we can draw here is that we need to be careful uh, before deeming the circumstances of, of your life uh, a disaster or a tragedy. These circumstances are often what God uses to build your faith and His church. As Paul said in Romans 8, 28, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So amazingly here, what we see is God used the persecution uh, in the early church, in these early Christians, to do what He had told them to do from the beginning, uh, to go where He wanted them to go to Samaria, to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And he used Stephen. You know, his death would seem to be uh, in vain, a real tragedy. But God, through uh, this man, fully yielded to, to his service. Uh, he does a great thing. It, it's, it sparks a bit of a disaster. But as Stephen laid down his life, the church grew. The mission went forward. So Jesus builds his church. Uh, he, he builds our faith. He causes us to grow in Christ, not only in spite of persecution, but He can do it, and often does, through persecution or difficult circumstances. So be careful how you interpret your circumstances. Intuitively, we would say anything that makes us uncomfortable or is difficult for us is bad, but that's not necessarily the case. Often that's the, the very thing that Christ is using in your life and in the life of the church. Now, secondly, the second thing that we see here from this church is that Jesus builds his church not only uh, among the Jews in Jerusalem, but across all social and racial barriers. And here we see that no people, no people are beyond the reach of the gospel. Verse 1 tells us that the Christians were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, and those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They even went into Gentile territory and, and into Samaria. Uh, Philip, uh, one of the seven appointed to the ministry to the widows there in Jerusalem, uh, back in chapter 6, he went to Samaria and he preaches to them. 
He cast out demons. He healed people. And the kingdom of light, we see, was driving out the forces of darkness. The gospel, the gospel light went forward. And the Samaritans, it tells us here, that they paid attention to what Philip said. And they did more than pay attention. Uh, you can see it through the context, but that word even means to take heed. They took heed to what Philip was telling them. They listened to it and they put it into practice. They embraced Christ. They embraced this good news of, of who Jesus is and what he did for them. And they rejoiced in it. There was great joy in that city. Uh, and then if we were to continue on in the next story that we'll look at next week, Lord willing, we'll see that indeed the gospel uh, did take root there in Samaria. Now that's a huge step for Christ's kingdom. But at this point, it's been limited to, uh, to Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And you don't have to do much reading in the New Testament to know that the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another fiercely. It was a bitter ethnic rivalry between the two groups. Uh, it was a lot like some of the, the bitter conflicts we see today against uh, people group against people group. What happened was when uh, they were sent into exile, when, when Israel and Judah divided and the people were sent into exile, uh, some people were sent over to this part and some people from that part were sent over here. So all the cultures and, and countries were mixed up by the Assyrians and the, and the Babylonians. And, and when you live next to someone who was from a different country, you're not likely to say, hey, let's, uh, let's bond together and uh, get a rebellion going against these uh, nasty Assyrians or these Babylonians. So that was their foreign policy. It was ruthless and brutal, and people were shipped off uh, all over the place in order to preserve their uh, kingdom that they had built. Well, the, the area of Samaria, Samaria was the area around the old capital of the, the ten northern tribes, Israel. Uh, some of the foreigners came in, and they mixed with some of the Jews that were there, that were left behind. And uh, the result was what the nation of Judah saw, as a mongrel race. And the Samaritans built their own temple on Mount Gerizim, not at Jerusalem, and they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. They threw out the rest. So the Jews saw them not only as uh, uh, ethnically impure, they saw them as rejects to, to be despised, they also saw them as heretics. And so there was an intense hostility between Jews and Samaritans. Even though they weren't fully Gentiles, uh, they, they were looked upon as worse than Gentiles. So here's Philip, a Jew, uh, going into Samaria with the good news of Christ and freely sharing it with all and doing good deeds to show the love of Christ to these people whom he would probably have been told all of his life, taught all of his life to despise. He went to this place and he associated with the Samaritans. You remember the story of the the uh, woman at the well. She is uh, approached by Jesus, apparently a Jew, uh, to her. She recognized him as a Jew. And uh, she says right off, you know, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And here's Jesus associating him. Philip is following the same example. He's reaching out to these despised people and he does ministry amongst this despised group that he as a Jew uh, would have been taught to despise. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ breaks down all the cultural, social, and racial barriers that exist between people. And that makes it unique among the world's religions. If you really think about it, if you examine all the other religions of the world, 
you will find that those religions are confined to a certain locality and people group, and they don't spread far from that. Islam, centered in, uh, in Arab lands, in the Middle East, amongst the Arabs. Uh, Buddhism is centered in Asia. Hindu, Hinduism is centered on the Indian subcontinent. You could go on down the list. The center for these religions has remained unchanged for centuries and dominates those particular people groups. But if you look at Christianity, it started in Jerusalem, and its center has shifted throughout the centuries as it has spread all across the world. It began in Jerusalem, and through the Roman Empire it spread. And then uh, its center became, in our uh, history, uh, its center became Western Europe. Uh, England, it came over for religious freedom to North America. So the gospel spread to North America and has taken root there. And from there, down into South America. And, and then uh, from there, back over to Asia, as the church has exploded over the last century in Asia, especially in China. In Korea, a hundred years ago, there was no church in Korea. People were put to death, missionaries were put to death when they went to Korea. And today, in Korea... Uh, they're the second largest mission-sending nation in the world next to the United States and will probably overtake us at some point. Church is exploding in Korea over the past hundred years. And now in Africa, there's a, the, the, the church is growing by leaps and bounds in that nation. So you see how uh, Christianity spans all the cultures, all languages, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, as the Scripture uh, has told us. It goes out. And it's not confined to one race or people group or language or location or even one socioeconomic group. Philip goes to these people uh, because the gospel had changed his perspective and he brought the joy of salvation to these people. So we think about this. Are we willing to share the good news about Jesus and his love with everyone no matter uh, what their race is or social status? Are we quick to write people off and think, well, they could never be reached by the gospel? Because surely you look at the Samaritans. They were really confused in their theology. And one might think, well, they would have never embraced this message. We often write people off and we think it's just too difficult. They're too far gone or something. But there's no one beyond the reach of God's power and grace. Don't write people off. Jesus often builds his church where no one imagined it possible. Jesus builds his church across all people groups to every tongue, tribe, and nation. Now finally, uh, we see here the third thing, that Jesus builds his church not only by the preaching of preachers, but by the proclamation of the gospel by all Christians. Here we see that no believers are excluded from its gospel responsibilities. Verse 1 tells us that the Christians were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Why? Uh, did the apostles remain in Jerusalem? Well, I, I think that uh, he doesn't really go back and tell us why uh, anywhere else, but I like to think that they are sticking it out, manning their post. God has called them to uh, be leaders in the church there, and they are staying there in spite of the persecution. But why are we told this in, in this place? Because it's not, it's, as I said before, it's not mentioned anywhere else, or there's no follow-up on the fact we, we don't really get any reason why. But I think it's here uh, because Luke is telling us something. You'll notice that verse 4 tells us that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now that word translated here, preaching, in verse 4, 
is the word euangelizo, which is the word from which we get our word evangelism, evangelist, and so on. And what it means is to announce or proclaim good news. It's not a particularly Christian word, though uh, we, we think about it now uh, as a Christian word. Uh, even in Hebrew, there was a word that meant exactly the same as this. And it meant to announce good news. Uh, if, uh, of course, they didn't have cell phones or, uh, or even telegraphs back in those days, and if your army won a great victory back at the capital, they're waiting to hear the news, and a herald would run back and tell them. He would, he would bring a gospel. He would bring a, an evangel, a good news, the good news that the victory was won. And so Christians uh, uh, took this uh, word and they used it for the, for the victory that Christ has won over sin and death and the proclamation of it. And that's what's going on here. People who have been touched by Christ, who have experienced the victory over sin and death, uh, they're, they're sharing it with others as they are driven out of Jerusalem. As they meet new people, they, they say, you know, I'm on the run because I'm a Christian. And let me tell you what Christianity is all about. It was all very natural. It wasn't that they were standing up in a pulpit and preaching to people. They were just sharing what they, were, what they had experienced. They were just being witnesses. They just were saying, here's what's happened to me. Here's what Jesus has done for me. Here's what Jesus means to me. Here's what Jesus did. And so the gospel spread as they spread because they were talking about it. Someone said uh, they gossiped the gospel. They gossiped the gospel. They just talked about it in normal conversation. Now verse 5 tells us that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now that word proclaimed is a word for preaching. So Philip did preach and stand. He stood up and he preached or proclaimed about Christ to the Samaritans. But what the average Christians were doing, that's not the word that's used. They just went about sharing it with others. They just talked about it. They shared it with others as they lived their lives. And they talked about it because it was just a normal part of their lives. It's true of us. We talk about things, uh, you know, we love the most. Sometimes it drives other people crazy. We love our children or our grandchildren. We want to show all the pictures. You know, you've seen, you maybe have experienced that. Somebody want to share all the pictures and tell all the stories about their children or grandchildren, and they're so proud and excited about it, and, and you might not could even care less, and you're just like going, hmm, when, uh, I need to go. Uh, but they're excited about it, and they want to share it with you. Or someone who has a great experience. We, we uh, were missionaries in England, and it was a great experience, and we loved it. And uh, our friends, who are also missionaries, they said, now when you go back, you know, share some stories, but don't talk about it all the time. You're going to be tempted to just talk about it all the time, and you need to really be careful uh, about sharing it and, and uh, you know, just dominating conversations with it, because you're, you're going to want to talk about it. And that was true. We had to check ourselves sometimes. Uh, we, so we talk about great experiences we have. You know, if we saw a great concert, we want to share about it. Uh, if we were witnesses to a, a game that we uh, saw and, and it was a great ending, uh, we talk about it. We love to talk about football when we're not talking about anything else. There are things that we love to talk about and we talk about it naturally. So why is it so hard for us to talk about Jesus like this? Well, could it be that we don't love or really appreciate what He has done for us? Or, take it, or do we take it for granted what He has done for us? See, Jesus 
uh, should be a great part of our lives, and what he's done for us should be, uh, it's, it's the most important thing that's ever been done in the world. And we should naturally and normally talk about it and the impact that it's made on our lives. So I want to stress for you today from this passage that Jesus builds his church using all Christians. And it doesn't require any special training or, or anything uh, real over-the-top, uh, intense uh, time of study. That would certainly help. But you just have to be a witness. Here's what I saw. Here's what's happened to me. And share it with others. Now, I'm not trying to heap pressure on everyone. You know, everybody uh, always uh, cringes when it comes time to hear about evangel. You know, we need to go out and evangelize. Uh, but I just want you to see that sharing your faith with others should be a natural thing. And if you have trouble with it, it's not uh, the the solution is not just to try harder, but to to get Christ to have a greater grip on your heart, uh, to love Him so much that you want to talk about it. And so, really, all you need to do is look at Christ and examine what He's done in His life, and His death, His resurrection. Examine that, think about it, think about the implications for you and reflect on that and let it sink down in your heart. And I'm sure you'll want to talk about it with somebody because it's so wonderful, it's so incredible that God would do this for us, to be really captured by it. You, can't, you wouldn't be able to help but talk about it with others. So Jesus builds His church, not only using the preaching of preachers, but by the proclamation, by the speaking of the gospel, by all Christians. Well, in conclusion, we see here that uh, the pattern that we have in Acts 8 is really Christ's pattern. Uh, we see this pattern in Christ's life because Jesus was persecuted and his death brought eternal life. You know, you might think the, the God of glory was crucified on a cross. That's tragic but it was all part of the God's plan. And then and, and Christ came and He did it willingly so that sinful people like us could have eternal life. And He did this not just for His close friends and family or, or even people from His own nation or, or just people from good homes who were pretty good people who grew up on the right side of the tracks, but He did this for every type of person from all cultures and walks of life. He died for all types of people. And heaven will be the most diverse place uh, that we've ever experienced. You know, one of the things I, I did love about being in England and the church we had there was that we had people from all over the world who worshipped with us. It, 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 there were times when we have people from six different continents worshipping in the same room. People with nothing in common. But as soon as you started talking about Jesus... We had everything in common. We had exactly that to talk about. And it was really exciting. Sometimes we, we, well, I counted at one time we had nine different nationalities represented in our congregation. And I would stop on occasion and say to the congregation, I said, this is a, this is a little snapshot of heaven. It was only 20 or 30 people, but uh, it was people from every tongue and tribe and nation. Very exciting. We're a bit more homogenous here at Biloxi, and that's all right. But one day we will be alongside of people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And that's very exciting. This good news that we have, that we, uh, that we have embraced, that we have to share is good news for all people. And may God grant us the love and boldness to share it with others. Let's pray together.